Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Ask almost anybody who's been to summer camp, whether they be kids or staff members, and they'll tell you, it is awesome. They will also tell you through their words, but mostly through their actions, that they learn a ton while there too. As a longtime camp director, youth sport coach, and father to three growing young men, I know the lessons that we learn at camp can be hugely beneficial for all of us back home in the real world. So, each week, I'll spend some time around the digital campfire talking with professionals from inside and around the summer camp world. We'll share their lessons, their ideas, and their practices in a way that I hope will be immediately useful for your life back home. So, pull up a seat, get your marshmallow ready to roast, and let's spend some time learning together around the campfire. Summer camp is full of fun characters, people who feel and think and connect really deeply. When you strip camp down to its essence, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Connection. That's why the people who, quote-unquote, do camp the longest are those who thrive on connection. And I don't know anyone more set up for that way of life than my good friend, Steve Nugent. Nuge showed up on our scene through a connection in the soccer world six years ago and has been a huge part of camp ever since. A former youth soccer coach, summer camp assistant director, NCAA Division I head coach, and full-time dad, Nuge has thought a lot about how to bring the best out in people around him. Sitting around the campfire with Nuge is always a treat for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Please enjoy this campfire conversation about bringing out the best in ourselves and our kids with my good friend, Steve Nugent. Steve Nugent, welcome to the campfire. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It is truly an honor to finally be here, and I'm sorry that I canceled on you two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the holidays, and things That's were going, and you got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so we get to spend a lot of time around our campfire together, um, and it's been we've had a lot of fun over the last five summers. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot listening to you and, you know, your ability to articulate these incredible stories that that uh, uh, that just honor camp, you know, first and foremost, and then to inspire from the youngest camper to the oldest staff member to be their best self, uh, not just there, but everywhere. It's, yeah. it's, it's truly an awesome experience. Yeah, we have a great time with it. Yeah. Well, you share a ton of stories as well, and you've got a great connection, especially mm-hmm. with the oldest kids, and you mm-hmm. connect sure. with all of them. But the oldest ones are, are kind of your world mm-hmm. up there, and, and they don't come back to camp for me. They come back to camp because they can't wait to see Nuge. They can't wait to see <laughs> Well, that, that's not really that true. true. There's a lot about camp that's yeah. great. We Listen, at the end of the day, there's if there's no camp, there's no Nuge. Exactly. There's no Camp Mom Judy. There's no Cole. Right. There's, we just don't have the platform to, to be our best self. Yeah, and we get to do this. It's pretty incredible that mm. we, we have created lives where we get to do this. That is true. I mean, I'm so grateful for it. So you started camp a long time ago. I mean, mm-hmm. you've had a really interesting tracks. You've had a soccer mm-hmm. track, which was mm-hmm. huge in the, in your world, and you also had a camp track that was huge. Mm-hmm. What, this, well, soccer started for me as as a, as a youngster. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, uh, I, the youngest of eight kids, growing up in Massachusetts, Boston. Uh, in Boston, um, a very football, basketball, baseball oriented family. Uh, I just decided, since I was the youngest, and the youngest is very independent, <laughs> that I was going to do my own thing. And we had this program that was um, based on your ethnicity. So mm-hmm. Irish teams played Italian teams, which played Polish teams, mm-hmm. which 
played Peruvian teams and so on. Yep. And that's how I got introduced to the game. It was very international at huh. the time, which was very cool because... You know, when I wasn't playing, I was shining the boots for the senior level, you know, team member. Mm -hmm. You know, I was almost like apprentice-like, if you will. So yeah. I got introduced to the game the right way with people that really were great mentors. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved to Florida. Yep. And my dad retired and said, we're going to Florida. I said, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> well, then what I realized is that soccer is a year-round sport in the state of Florida, which yep. was awesome. And I met this kid. The first day, the moving truck comes in, I'm unpacking, and there's this kid named Tim Adams, and he's in the middle of the street, and he's on his back juggling with the bottom of his feet. And I thought, that's something I've never seen wow. before. So uh, I said, I need to become friends with you, because <laughs> I can't do that. And which is kind of a snapshot of, of how I really kind of put myself in certain situations through my life. Mm -hmm. I, I always tried to find the smartest and the best and the brightest people that I, whether I was hiring those people or uh, whether I wanted to be in that environment. It explains your wife, too. <laughs> we both have that. Yes, we, we both did. have that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so I really got into soccer that way, and Tim took me under his wing, and he taught me how to juggle, and he taught me how to do certain things. And I thought that I was a pretty decent soccer player leaving the state of Massachusetts and coming to Florida, and I quickly realized that I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't technical <laughs> enough, and I wasn't smart enough. So... Luckily, I had him, and luckily, I was able to, because of that, I was able to be introduced to the, the game at a higher level because his dad, at the time, was the GM of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Wow. Which is a really cool thing. Wow. You know, so I got to go to the games in the locker room, and I got to see, you know, people like Ray Hudson put on a <laughs> uniform, and, and uh, he's, a, he's a hero of mine. And so a lot of kids don't get that. They don't have the opportunity to be in a professional environment to see how pros really do their thing. Yeah. The guys I was apprenticing for up in Massachusetts, the New England team, and they were they were second division or amateur guys mm -hmm. or retired guys that were still playing. So yeah. it was a different environment. So you, you get there, mm -hmm. you start going through it, and then you actually go into the coaching world. I do, yeah. I went to college uh, in Boca Raton, Florida, and I did a clinic one day. I saw a thing, we need people to help out with mm -hmm. the Soccer Association of Book Raton, and I did a clinic, and some guy named Butch Johnson, who ultimately became the best man in my wedding, <laughs> sees me do this clinic, and, and Cole, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never coached before. I'm like, they're going to pay me $30 for two hours. <laughs> and at that time, in 1992, $30 meant a lot to Steve Nugent. Sure. I could do a lot with that $30. Yep. And so I said, sure, I'll be there. When do I have to be there? And they were like, we'll come at 6, and it'll go till 8 o'clock. I was there at 5.15. I thought I was dressed. I had my soccer shoes on. I had my socks. I was dressed. I was ready to go. And at 5 minutes to 6, nobody was there. There was nobody around. And then Butch <laughs> pulls up in his car. People start filing out of their cars. And I meet this guy, Butch, and I, I, I do this clinic, and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm making animal sounds. I'm working with six-year-olds. You really want to test your coaching ability? <laughs> Go with six-year-olds. Get 15 six-year-olds that have no idea how to talk to each other, let alone talk to me. Right. Or hear what I'm saying. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm not trained for this. So all I did was I reverted back to my—I was working at a preschool back in 1990. Mm -hmm. I was in a pre-K—I was a pre-K teacher. Yep. And I had this great mentor at the time, Louise, and, and she just said, well, when you don't know, just fake it. You know, act like you know it. <laughs> so I just made animal sounds, and I was goofy, and I laughed, and I was loud, and which isn't very different than today. <laughs> 
But uh, here, and then he came up to me afterwards, like, hey, do you want to coach? I'm like, Butch, I, I, don't, I don't know how to coach. I've never taken a, he goes, I'll send you to a coaching course. There was one the next weekend, Tom, Dr. Tom Fleck was running it. Um, unfortunately, he's passed away, but he was sort of the, he was the guy. He wrote, wrote all the books on youth coaching. He wrote everything, and he just happened to be the director of coaching in the state of Florida. So we were lucky, and he was wow. running a, and he said, I'm going to send you there. I'll pay for it. I was like, okay. So right away, I got an example of what it was like to be a mentor. Mm. I didn't know at the time. I didn't mm. know what the word meant. I had not had a mentor. I didn't know what a mentor was. Mm. And here he was. He was paying my way to go to this, and then he was going to pay me $500 to coach this team for seven months. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. I am so in right now. But what ended up happening was I met all these other folks. Boca Raton was littered with A-licensed coaches, former professionals, professional coaches. So Roy Wigginson was the head men's soccer coach at Lynn University. I would literally get on my Vespa, mm -hmm. and I would drive up the Florida Turnpike to get to his practice, and I would watch him train his team and take notes, rel religiously take notes, very, very copious notes on everything he was doing. I would listen to what he said, and then there was another guy named Jim Blankenship and a guy named Steve Pete, and all these people that were so good at what they did, they were all licensed, they were all professionals, and there we were as young coaches got to see these people do, wow. their, do their thing every day. So not only are you learning, you're motivated. Mm. You're motivated. You're thinking to yourself, well, I could do this. Well, at the time, there was no sort of pot at the end of the rainbow. Sure. There was only like 60 Division I women's soccer teams at the time. Right. And then Jim brought me on. Jim Lancaster brought me on to Lynn University as a volunteer assistant. And that kind of just is what kind of spearheaded the path. Mm -hmm. And then I was coaching at a high school, a private school that Jan and I met at back in 1994. And then that, you know, parlayed into working with the club. And I would basically what I was doing uh, a couple days a week, I was stuffing newspapers at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel yep. for extra money. And yep. that was at 3.30 in the morning. I would get up and then I would go home. I would nap for two hours and then go to oh the school gosh. to teach PE so I could coach. And you would do that. Sure. That's what you had to do. And you right. probably, you remember because oh, you got absolutely. into the coaching world. Yeah. You couldn't I, I, just I coach. Poured a, yeah, I poured a lot of yogurt, cooked in yeah. restaurants. You, know, you do whatever you can. Whatever you can. Just to coach. Yep. And that's what I was doing. And um, um, I was lucky enough to have people that believed in me and that believed in my energy more than anything else. I was not a fantastic player. I didn't have a, a amazing resume. I didn't have that career. Um, I played one year in the USISL, and uh, it wasn't even a year. I played one season. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the third string player, and but... I just, I was around it, and they believed in the energy, they believed in my enthusiasm, and allowed me, thankfully, to just hang around. And I, I learned so much just by hanging around. Yeah. And then I met Jana. And uh, in 1994, and I hired her to coach an under-10 team. Did you really? Yes. <laughs> and I met her, and uh, I had no idea what summer camp was, Cole. Yeah. Never even heard of it. Right. I was like, yeah. I grew up very, you know, very poor, you know, within the city, within Massachusetts, we didn't, summer camp's sure. not what we did. Not we yeah. went to Paragon Park and Lincoln Park and then Tasket Beach. That was right. our yeah, vacation. Or maybe yeah. Duxbury Beach, you know, right. somewhere. Sure. And that was it for us. And then we... Um, but now we she met. had come up through camp. She like, did. When she was seven, 
In, yeah. 19, in 1979, mm-hmm. her mom put her on a plane in Miami to Boston, oh my uh, direct, uh, with a bunch of other little seven-year-olds, and went to eight weeks at Matoka in Maine. Uh, back then, one phone call yeah, for the per, seven weeks. For, for the entire time. Yep. Letters, yep. one visiting day. I mean, true... I mean, what true camp? separation? True separation. Yep. But she was seven. <laughs> now her brother Eric was nine or ten, and he was across the lake at Camp Manitou mm-hmm. for boys, and he had gone the year before. Yeah. So, and then of course, camp and her just—they were best yeah. friends. Sure. <laughs> she loved camp. Everything about camp. She told me what she was doing, and then we started dating, and then, and then around April. I hadn't heard about camp. Mm-hmm. I knew. Well, I shouldn't say that. She told me like I do. The, I went to this camp, and, went, and then April she said, "Well, hey, so in June I'm leaving to go to." I'm like, "What? You're going to what? You're going where? <laughs> <laughs> For how long?" She's like, "Yeah, you want to come?" I was like, uh, uh, "I have soccer." <laughs> <You know? laughs> Excuse me. And there's that great shirt that came out in the mid two thousands. And on the front it said, I can't. Mm-hmm. And on the back it said, because I have soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually owned one for did a long you really? time. Yes, nice. I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Because nice. that was my answer to, I can't, sure. I have soccer. Yep. I can't, I have soccer. <laughs> and if you lived in Florida or if you lived in California or yeah, places where you could sure. play year-round, people used to say that. No, I can't, I have soccer. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I didn't go that first year, but I visited. I went up and back. Mm-hmm. And ultimately we, we got engaged um, uh, on Cadillac Mountain oh, in wow. Arcadia Indeed. National Park. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we were Bar Harbor. We went candle pin bowling, and yep. we had ice cream, and we stayed in a bed and breakfast, and here we were getting engaged on the top of Cadillac Mountain with the sunset, oh. and it just seemed right. So the next, so when we came home after that summer, Mike Nathanson, who was the owner-director, mm-hmm. and Paula, his wife, asked if we would get involved as the assistant directors. And I would have a role, Jenna would have a role, and Jenna was so good at um, working with young campers, new campers, homesick campers. So mm-hmm. she was the, she was the head counselor for many years. Sure. And so she became the assistant director responsible for that, responsible for training the staff. And then uh, that summer, um, Mike went to Jana and said, Rachel, their daughter, does not want to get involved. She doesn't want to own camp. We, they had hand, literally had handpicked Jana and yeah. said, you're the person that we want to do this. You're the person that we know will take Matoka and all of its traditions and, and honor them mm-hmm. and take this into the next phase of whatever mm-hmm. life is for Matoka. And we said, we're all over it. And then a couple personal decisions later, and then we decide not to buy it. We have to walk away. Yeah. And that personal decision, and it says a lot about my wife. I said I want to coach soccer in college. Oh, yep. And she said, okay, let's do, let's, let's follow your passion. Yep. And to this day, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for her Mm. for always being that supportive, uh, partner, uh, but I do have a little bit of regret. I'd be lying to you <laughs> if I didn't say I had a little bit of regret. Yep. But then I think about all the things that I've done since then and all the people that I've met and all the sure. experiences that I have. And I can't say that I truly, because um, there are people that have true regret, you mm-hmm. know, in decisions that I've made. But, but, but I've, I've been able to come full circle because here sure. I am now. Yeah, back at camp. And back, I'm back at camp. And so we didn't buy it. And another lovely couple, Leslie, who 
Jana was her counselor. Come on. Another family who's, by the way, whose mom had gone to Matoka. Oh, my God. Yeah, and uh, she had been a former college league captain. Um, and uh, so at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's in great hands. Yeah. We went, I went to go coach in college. Jana went to law school. Yep. And, and then we started having kids. Georgia was one of my stops. I knew Sue Baldwin, <laughs> and I knew Camp, and then we had Trevor, and we knew we were going to send him to Camp, and we, then we signed him up, and then there was an athletic position, then yeah, here we are, Cole. <laughs> yeah. So I have to, I have, I know I told you the story, but yeah. I love the story. So your first night at Camp, mm. it was the start of the second session. You come in as athletics director, mm -hmm. and you got up on stage and put a, a pillow on your shirt. I and danced around. I did. I was like, Welcome to Camp Aquaic. I did. This is Nuge. I did. And then you danced around. You know. And that but. night, I go into Trevor's bunk because I go into all the little boys' bunks, say goodnight mm -hmm. to him. And I'm just checking on Trevor because I'm a little worried. It's first mm -hmm. time camp, away from mom. And he's got a couple tears in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I said, All right, I want your two happies. I know you're sad. You're missing mom, but tell me your two happies today. And he got up, he started hugging himself and kind of rocking and laughing. He said, My dad up on stage with a pillow and a shirt. It was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, He's going to be fine. You know, I, the, and this was when I got introduced, by the way, to get in the llama. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> So no time I, to explain. Get in the llama. And that's exactly how it was said to me. And yes. I'm like, I, I, I don't, what do you mean? Like, what does yep. this mean? So uh, here, <laughs> here I was on stage in front of these hundreds of kids and these staff. And I thought, oh, my God. They want me up here to look like this, to act like this. And it's okay. Totally okay. They're not making fun of me. Right. It's not a big goof. Yep. We're not figuring out that the silliest thing we could do to Steve Nugent the first day of camp. <laughs> it's there's no hazing going on here. <laughs> right. yeah. This is who we are. Everybody just does this. Yep. This is what they do. Yeah. And long story short, you know, I've been in the llama a few times. Yeah. <laughs> as you have seen me on stage, yes. dressed in several different outfits Without and suits, and dancing and trying. I'm the horrible dancer and I want to publicly apologize to the CITs of 2017 that I did not do that dance the way you wanted it Harper Bar I'm sorry you had a great choreography and I was just horrible at it and we lost oh man well yeah you, you lost to the boys did a very yes, good job the boys did that was uh, that was that yes was epic. yes Jeremy was really good for them <laughs> so you jump on stage, literally, mm -hmm. and you, you jump in the llama, which was a term that we used. It was a great picture, you know, someone in a llama and saying no time to explain, just get in the llama. And that's what we do at camp. But for some reason, camp, whether it's at Matoka or whether it's at Manapanai or whether it's at Waquake or whether it's at Starlight or where, wherever these great camps are, Falling Creek, you know, these, these great camps all over the country, kids come back to those spots because those spots bring out the best in those children mm -hmm. and in those staff. Mm -hmm. What is it, in your opinion, about camp? Because you've seen a couple of them now. Mm -hmm. What is it about the, the institution of camp that brings out the best in people? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, um, I think leadership has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the successful camps, and I, th I think you could say this about successful businesses, successful sports teams, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it starts with the leadership at the top. And the leadership at the top isn't just because someone's a strong leader and they have um, they have good skills or whatever. They have a plan mm -hmm. more than anything else. And the plan about not only how camp is going to run and the logistics of it, 
and when we eat and when we go here and all that. Forget all that for just a second. I I I talk a lot about the hiring process with people when we mm-hmm. talk about camp and how you sift through information about people and what their goals are and mm-hmm. why they're going to be a good fit for camp. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people get get looked over three, four, five different times with different questions and different people. So that's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, you talk about the leadership, you talk about the hiring process. So the people mm-hmm. are the number. So, so then that all trickles down to what? The people. Right. Um, and I think the other thing that's important about camp is the consistency of it. Mm-hmm. When those buses roll up and you see the faces of the children when they get off the buses and they see their friends... And they see the counselors, and they see former staff, and they. But more importantly, when they know they're there, mm-hmm. it's truly I'm here now. Like I'm not in my home, I'm not at school, I'm not in my room, I'm not with I'm, I'm not with that life. I'm here now, and because there's consistency in, in what the expectations are, and what we do, and the fun that we provide, and the experiences that we provide, and the fact that they know they can be who they want to be uh, in yeah. these four four walls, if you will. Sure. Um, that it's a it's a priceless moment. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it before on video. Uh, it's my favorite moment. Mm-hmm. Bar none is that moment when two people see each other from across the street and they know that this six-week journey is about to begin. Yeah. And then I also love watching the new counselors mm-hmm. really take in that moment because it's 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 an awesome moment. Yeah. And they... I talk to so many of them that come and visit and that we talk, uh, you know, on text and on, on email that those are the things that they miss. Mm-hmm. They take for granted in the beginning mm-hmm. because they don't know yet. And then they miss it. They miss that interaction. They miss that connection that they have. Um, but I feel like, you know, I feel like leadership is a big part of it. I feel like the consistency is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you talk about how we talk a lot about, um, you know, the expectations that we set in every all the areas of camp. Right. Um, and you talk a about you talk a lot on Friday nights campfires about how we treat people. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Yeah. Just like my, my mother nice. would say, be nice, damn it. Be nice. <laughs> and in a world where there's not a lot of nice people and there's not a lot of nice things happening, you know, what a great opportunity to teach not only how to, to that being nice is important and there's value in it, but to see examples of it in life, absolutely, in emotion. And, and that's every the day. thing that that I think when we talk about this and the, the, when you bring up the staffing, that to me is it. I mean, because you've got these young men and women coming in from you know, really far different places than what, what Quayak is or what camp is in any way, shape, or form. And they dive right into it and they get it and they're like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're just who they are. And then they're wonderful examples. And Kate loves the term, it's like, you know, the kids aren't going to pick it up by what you say. They're going to pick it up by what you do. Without a doubt. You know, so the people around them, they got to be doing the stuff that the camp wants of that. And I think the fact that most camps, it's, there are some competitions, of course, and there are some judgments that are put down, of course. Um, there are a lot of constraints at camp. Like, we don't get to do what we want to do all the time. Even at a choice-based camp, you don't get to do everything you want to do when you want to do it. There are certain, there are very specific walls of a garden, if you That's will. Right. And we let the kids bounce all they want within mm-hmm. that garden, but mm-hmm. they're very specific walls mm-hmm. yeah. that you, you know, this is how you treat people. Mm-hmm. This is how you say please and thank you. Mm-hmm. These are when you go to the waterfront, and this is when you don't go to the waterfront. Mm-hmm. Whatever those constraints are, 
and yet kids seem to to thrive mm-hmm. within those constraints. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think one of the I can I can speak for my kids and other kids I've interacted with, but there's a the the way the, the staff is trained, mm-hmm. and I obviously I've seen it firsthand. I think organically, the way they're trained and then the way they interact with the kids, they create a safety net for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. to act appropriately mm-hmm. and to and to act accordingly, if you will, in certain moments, but to express themselves too at the same time and to venture off into things that they don't normally experience at home. Right. Where else in the world could you go and do all these things? There's so many things that... that my three boys do at camp mm-hmm. that they don't do here in Athens because they don't have the the place to do it. They don't have the time. The, right. You know, school takes up so much of their time. Their sports, mm-hmm. um, you know, the things that they have to do where their priorities are. Then they go up to camp and they're playing a guitar right. and they're building a website on on yeah. and they're doing pottery and you know paddling. They're they're paddling. You yeah. know, but I think. Um, but I think the way the staff is trained, and that goes back to those things about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've seen. I, I mean, I love, love the way that our staff is trained, mm-hmm. because we're not talking about just the nuts and bolts of running a camp. It's it's so much more important to a find out who you are and right. why you're going to be great. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and then we're always, and then and then to pound that home, you know, yeah. you're great because, yeah. and then you're great because, now look what you're going to be able to do for these kids when they get off the bus because you're great at this, right? And I think it's it's twofold, mm-hmm. you know. It, I, I think and again, it's organic in the sense that they find out what's great about them, they find out why they belong here, and they find out all these wonderful things about themselves, and then that just trickles down to every yeah. kid that they come in contact with. And it might be a kid in their bunk, it might be a kid in their activity, it might be a situation where it's kind of like the you know, the pick up the piece of paper mentality mm-hmm. you know uh being you know having a sense of stewardship at camp is really important for me mm-hmm. when you see something out of place put it back in place kind sure. of thing but w- what i love is that you know we train our staff to see things mm-hmm. and it, it might not be their kid but they see somebody that needs a little bit of help and needs a little bit of assistance yeah. they know what to do it's not foreign to them they're not afraid of it right and just because it's not their kid doesn't mean they don't help and I think that community mentality, that, that, that's truly a family. That's a village, if you will, mm-hmm. that's helping us do or helping you as the director, helping you do all these things that you talk about with these families when you're talking about coming to camp. Right. Because it's not easy to get somebody to say yes. Oh, I've been uh, in that, the, that room. I know what it's like. It's not yeah. easy. There's so many questions. Right. And the staff just does a really good job of making sure that the priorities are met. Well, and it's funny, it makes me think of our CITs that we have coming this mm-hmm. summer. And we just had a great experience in New York City where we had 200 kids show up for a bowling party. Right. And, you know, I, it was me and Jerry as mm-hmm. our you know full-time staff mm-hmm. members there. And then it was our CITs. And thank goodness a couple of our great former staff members and hopefully future staff members, if you're listening <laughs> to me, um, were there. But these amazing CITs showed up, and they just did it. And they welcomed mm-hmm. people in, and they they were treating other people the way I, we watch our counselors treat them. Isn't that an awesome example? It was You fantastic. must be so proud because I, they're, all they're doing is they're modeling yeah. everything that's been expected of them in that environment at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, And we don't know what's happening at school or on their sports teams or in their churches or their synagogues or wherever. Right. But at that moment, they it was it about Camp O'Quick 
and they turned it on the way you wanted them to. You didn't bring them all in. You didn't give them a 10-point bulletin piece of paper that said, do these things for me. But they just did it. Yeah. They knew how. Yeah. Well, I told them, you're going to be this spot. You're going to be this spot. You're going to be this spot. Make everybody feel like they're welcomed. See ya. And then I worked with the parents, and they worked with the kids, and it was just so cool. It was such a satisfying. And every camp director in the country would look at their CITs if they acted thusly. Mm Mm-hmm. And that would probably be one of their proudest moments of the year. Well, cool. We have good kids, too, at the oh, same yeah. time. You've yeah. recruited, you've created a culture with the staff and with the leadership where those are the type of kids that want to come to Camp Wilkes. Yeah, it's worked out. You know, it really has. Yeah, it's been great. So one of the things that you know, we talk a lot about as, as dads, you know, because you've got your three boys and I've got three, my three boys and we've got amazing wives, you know, to help us through all this stuff. Sure. Um, we want to take some of that magic that we have at camp and we want to bring it home whether it be to our home itself mm-hmm. where we volunteer mm-hmm. you know where we coach whatever it is how do we as parents take what we know which is a pretty unique knowledge set mm-hmm. and how do we bring it back home well it, it's that's a that's a really good question and it's a tough one to answer because I've thought about it a lot um, because I think camp so much of it happens organically. Mm-hmm. It's there's because there's so many sets of eyes mm-hmm. making sure that the train goes in the right direction. Yeah. You know, when when we come home, you know, we go back to our lives and we rely, not rely, but but what we put our kids in different environments. They go to school, mm-hmm. they go to church, mm-hmm. they go on their sports teams, mm-hmm. they have their social lives. Mm-hmm. So it all comes back to the home. Mm-hmm. But what I do, and I'll just speak for myself specifically, I go back to what we talk about all the time at camp. I talk about gratitude, yeah. I talk about attitude, and I talk about courage. And you know, it's kind of like coaching. You don't have to reinvent the wheel with soccer coaching. Sure. I mean, the pitch has got four quarters. Yeah. There's a goal on one side and a goal on the other. Stop the ball from going in that one and put it in there as many times as you can, but then cooperate amongst each other. Mm-hmm. There's so many parallels to raising children and sport. We, sure. We see them all the time. Right. Um, and I'm not, uh, it's not to say that raising kids is a game, but the the tactical aspects of coaching mm-hmm. have a lot to a lot of parallels with the tactical aspects of parenting mm-hmm. and you want your players to succeed and fail on their own you want to give them information and then they take that information and they they run with it and they're on the field and you know you're sitting back on game day and you're hoping that that tactical mm-hmm. information that you've given them is applied sure. in that 90 minutes well parenting is very similar yeah so i and, and by the way, a lot of parenting, if you're not imitating other people that do it right, then you're silly. You're, you're not parenting the right way because there are plenty of books that have been written. There are right. plenty of articles that have been written. Yep. And there are plenty of live examples of people that do it right. Yeah. And, and you don't have to be the perfect parent. You just have to be good enough. Absolutely. Good just enough good for enough. your kids. Right. The, the way, and and, and they're going to they're gonna teach you a lot about how to parent, too, at the same time, <laughs> yeah. if you pay attention. Right. Um, and we were talking earlier before we, we got on we got on air about, you know, treating our kids a little bit different and mm-hmm. why my 9-year-old is different than my 13-year-old, mm-hmm. which is different than my 11-year-old. 
but I go back to that in, in the, 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 the analogy that I was making there with sport and parenting and, and, and why we don't have to reinvent the wheel is because GAC mm-hmm. is the foundation mm-hmm. by which we're doing things at home, too. Yeah. I just didn't know it until I came to camp. I knew what gratitude was. Mm-hmm. I knew what having a good attitude meant. Mm-hmm. I knew what having courage meant and how you could apply it to doing things academically, doing things in sport, doing things in life. Listen, we just went to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. you know, for Christmas, for our annual trip as a family. And to tell you that I got harnessed up and went on a zip line, <laughs> if any, if my mom and dad were alive today and heard that story, they would it absolutely they say, you're lying. There's no way you did that. Because I am so risk averse when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. I don't want to jump out of a plane. I don't want to be above <laughs> ground. I'm just, I mean, I, I officiated a wedding on a mountain in Washington in October, and they didn't tell me where we were going on purpose. Oh, my goodness. Because they didn't want me to back out. Yeah. And we climbed this pinnacle peak in Washington at Mount Rainier, and I was not ready for it, but I did it. And here I was on this zip line, and I was zipping all over the place. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, it's not about me right now. What about my kids? Because they were behind me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, they're zipping all over the place right now. But here we were with an opportunity to grow yeah. and to get out of the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what I was doing, but my kids know I'm afraid of heights. Right. And then they saw me do what I did. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened at the end? All three of them came up to me, Cole, and they hugged me. And they said, Dad, I know that must have been really hard for you. Trevor, oh. more than ever. He's like, I know that must have been hard for you. And I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. Oh, God. Because I just don't do well with heights. But here I was. And the first one, I was like, Whoa! And I was screaming <laughs> through the jungle. And you know what? That comes from, I used to tell people, and I still tell people to this day, because I will get compliments a lot about our kids and how mm-hmm. they do things, right? Yep. And I firmly believe that as parents, a big part of our responsibility is the environments we put our kids in. Yes. We get to choose that. Yep. Choose wisely is what I would tell parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always around teams. They was always around people that had to cooperate with each other, that worked well with each other, that supported each other, that had each other's back. Don't you want that for your kids? You want that for your brothers? You want you want yes. to see brothers do that? You want to see family members do that? Um, and camp is another environment now. We're not in the athletic world at the collegiate level anymore. Uh, people ask me all the time, Steve, do you want to go back coaching? Do you want to go back coaching? And I tell them, no, I really don't have any interest. Well, you must miss it. I said, you know what? I do miss two things. I miss Friday nights mm-hmm. when yep. the whistle blows. Yep. And I miss the interaction that my kids had with the teams. Oh, interesting. You know, and walking around and coming on the field at the end of the game because they loved it. Yeah. They loved being around these people because they inspired my kids. I don't know. I don't know if a lot of parents pay attention to how five and six and seven and eight year olds are inspired, mm-hmm. but I can I can go back to poignant moments where Michelle Betos, who was a goalkeeper here at the University of Georgia and has been a professional now for the last 10 years, is one of the most successful players to ever come out of the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember poignant moments with her and Trevor when he was four, five, and six years old and the interactions that she had with him that have shaped him into who he is today. I can go right back to it. I can see the moment at our house here in Athens. Mm-hmm. 
But I can say that about a lot of things now. I can say it about camp. I can say it about mm-hmm. club soccer. I can say, I can say it about school and his teachers that have really taken, and th- and that's and that's, you know, as, as parents we get to these moments where we see these effects happening, and we have to we have to allow it to happen. Mm. A lot of parents don't. They're afraid. Mm-hmm. They're afraid that maybe you're going to make that impact. Right. You know, and and. Um, I, I remember this. I had this conversation with someone at camp on my first year, my first year with all three kids at camp. Mm-hmm. And you remember Connor? Oh, he was yeah. he was not in the bunk the first year. No, he was not for the first three or four days. And we would have very now, mind you, he was five at the time. Sure, he's like, Dad, I want to live in the bunk. I can do this. I'm like, Connor. You know, the the world is made up of rules. The world is made up of ideas that people have and how they want to run things. And I remember having a conversation with someone about it offline, not camp related, on yeah. the phone. And I said, I've got this thing with Connor. And, and they're like, just trust him. I said, okay, I'll do it. Let me try. Yep. I'll try anything. So I said to him that night, I said, you know what? You wake up tomorrow, you have to go to Cole. Yeah. I'm not going to Cole. Yeah. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I said, no, 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 Connor. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to set the stage. I'm not going to fight this battle for you. Do you really want to w- live in the bunk? Yes. I said, well, I'm telling you right now, the only way for you to live in that bunk is if you're willing to go to Cole and have that conversation with him. And we know the rest of the story. Well, and the rest of the story is, is that at the end of the summer— who got the all-around camper award for the juniors and um, made you a crying mess in the I corner. was in the corner, and Jeremy Williams was... I can hear it today. I have, I have chills on my arms thinking about it. Jeremy, Jeremy goes, let it out, dudes, let it out. And I just, I could not. And, and, and you know what? As a parent, God, I wish all the parents could come to camp one summer and be involved in those type of decisions right. and moments because it has just, to answer your original question about... How camp allows us to be better as parents. Mm-hmm. Here we that's a moment for me. Yeah. If I don't have camp, I probably I'm like, hey Cole, can we have a conversation real quick and let's talk offline and right. let's be men. Right. You know, you're a dad, I'm a dad. Yeah. I never have to have that moment. Right. When my kids step on camp yeah. in June. Yeah. I never have to see them again until the night we leave. Right. And I know that everything that I want as a parent, everything, is taken care of because of how the staff is trained, what the expectations are, the safety that's involved in what we do, um, and that I, even I know in those jammy situations where my kid might say the wrong thing, might act inappropriately, mm-hmm. that, that it's going to be handled. And it's not me that has to do it. Right. It's camp, camp. You know, this, this whole gratitude, attitude, and courage thing is real, man. It's real. It's alive. It's not just some acronym. I mean, it's alive in everything we do. We've had some trouble. When I say trouble, we had a couple situations this fall with a couple of my kids where they weren't being very grateful. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times, what do parents do in those situations? You're grounded. Right. Give me your phone. Right. You know, no Xbox. No, sure. you know, they do things like that. I said, oh, no, no, no. You know, we, Jen and I do. We say, well, what would they say to you at camp if you did this? Huh. Is this being grateful? Is, is, and, and Jana is, and she's so much better at it than me because my patience runs a little bit thin and I need to be better <laughs> at it. I need to be better. 
But she's so good at taking, and then she just stabs him right in the heart with it. Like, <laughs> are you being grateful right now? I mean, is, is that the attitude that we want to have? Um, and then we, 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 it's very clear to our kids that the things that they do, it's a privilege. It's not a right. Right, yeah. It's a privilege. Yep. And that's, why, and that's what camp is. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're going to say and they're going to make mistakes and, you know, their frontal lobes are not <laughs> totally developed. Not and for a while. And we're yep. going to ask, what were you thinking? And we know they weren't <laughs> they thinking. They weren't. And it's okay. <laughs> um, and they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But how, how awesome is it that we have that? You know, as our sort of um, defense, if you will, sure. in those moments where we can teach from that platform. And a lot of people don't have that platform. Right. Um, and I wish they did. Mm-hmm. I wish they could experience it. And yes, if they pick up a, a, a copy of the Quake Way Lessons from Summer Camp, written by Cole Kelly, oh. uh, available on Amazon, <laughs> by the way, because um, I bought four copies. <laughs> And Cole was nice enough to, uh, by the way, thank you for doing that and writing a note because that's something that they'll have forever. Mm-hmm. It went right into their memory. Each one of them has a memory box yep. that we've been collecting over the years, and it went in there, and it's just something that they'll have that's forever. But, yes, if you get your hands on the Wakwaig way, you can learn about some parenting you know, opportunities yeah. as well. Oh, it's been fun. So, well, Nuge, buddy, as always, our conversations could last for many, many campfires. <laughs> yes, they could. Yes, they could. <laughs> but thanks, brother. I appreciate you being I around the campfire with us. appreciate uh, you allowing me to be here. Awesome, buddy. I'm so happy Nuge was able to spend some time around the digital campfire with me. It's not as scenic a spot as we normally enjoy, but this will certainly do in a pinch. I've seen a shirt lately that says, Direction determines destination. It's true, isn't it? Where we want to go, where we're aiming, that should have a huge influence on where we ultimately end up. If finding and living our best selves requires having a plan, having a clear purpose, that's a great start. At our camp, we talk a lot about, as you heard from Nuge, living gratefully, choosing your attitude, and building courage. That's what we focus on at our place. The next big piece is certainly the people. Collecting and supporting a bunch of great humans who not only agree with the purpose of your place, but also want to live it out on a moment-to-moment basis, that's the most important thing that we can do. And I'm not just talking about the staff for our summer camp. Finding the kids and the families who feel the same way is just as important. Finally, there must be a huge amount of acceptance and celebration of the individual, Though we're all share you know, 99.5% of the same genetic structure, we're all also different and wonderfully so. By celebrating those different gifts and interests, as well as our similarities, we can create an environment in which each person can flourish. You put all those pieces together back home or in a classroom or on a stage or in a sports arena or wherever you're working with kids or young adults, and you'll help to bring out the best and those from around you. Well, that's all for this evening. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you found this conversation useful, I'd ask you to do a couple of things. First, please pass it along to a friend. The lessons of summer camp can be applied to so much in the other world, and our campfire circle is large enough for everyone to join in. Secondly, please leave a rating or review on whichever podcast service you're using. More good reviews help these ideas spread. Until we speak again, do good, and be good.
Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. SCOPE stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. SCOPE campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.